Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Suffolk Money Podcast, supported by Kingsfleet Wealth. If you've just started a business, I wonder who you can turn to for advice. Is it a relative? Uh, is it someone who you used to work with? Well, one organisation that thought about this several years ago is Mentor, based in Bury St Edmunds. Uh, they are now spreading out, as you will soon uh, find out from the interview that we have with Nick Pandolfi. And if that's the name that you've heard of, Nick has been on local radio uh, over a number of years. And it's only recently within his career that he's branched out into working with Mentor. And he does the job extremely well. So I couldn't waste the opportunity of speaking with Nick and just talk Mentor. I thought it was just worth exploring his career and what he'd been doing in the media prior to his role at Mentor. So, this is Nick Pandolfi. So I was born um, in Melton at the, um, back in the day, you could be born on either side of the road. You could be born in, um, in, this, in, this, in the high security psychiatric unit, or you could be born in the um, Phyllis Memorial. Um, which depending on which side of the road you were born. Um, I have to say the former high security psychiatric unit is now a very swanky housing development um, and looks very, very smart. I was born, I'm told, um, on, on the right side of the road in the Phyllis Memorial. And we left Melton two days later. I grew up in Felixstowe. Which is a great place to grow up. Perfect place to grow up. Lovely place for any child. I think anyone of any age. Felixstowe gets a bad press sometimes, undeservedly. And it's, uh, it's a fine town. Oh, well, I'm completely behind you on that, as you know. Um, so I think we were probably there at similar times, but passed in cross because I think um, you were studying elsewhere. Age 10, 11, uh, left Felixstowe and I went to, to drama school in London and um, the drama school was, remember this was the 80s, so it, was, it, it wasn't it wasn't quite like Fame, um, the original TV series, where we were throwing ourselves over Morris, uh, Morris Minor uh, bonnets or anything with leg warmers, um, or Ford Capris maybe, that sounds slightly better. But anyway, um, it was very much a, a drama school in the sense that we had traditional education in the morning. Um, then you had um, drama, music, speech, voice production, um, dance. I leave that one to the last because I really was chronic at dance. And then there was an agency involved and you were sent off for auditions. And if you were lucky and your face fitted, you got parts and you got paid and it was a whole new education. Talking about this not long ago with someone and they said, well, you, 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 you're quite prolific. You did quite a lot. And I did do quite a lot. You know, I was in a number of um, feature films, did a lot of TV, uh, did a lot of stage work, a lot of radio commercials and, and the like. And um, at that time, there were things like Another Country, which um, was really big on stage. And then a film, you had Goodbye Mr. Chips to serve them all my days. And a lot of sort of winged collar costume dramas made by the BBC. So I spent a fair period of time, two or three years really, um, sort of growing up at Television Centre, um, when it was a real um, production house um, for, for TV. And it was, it was an amazing, amazing time. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm truly blessed, I think, still to this day, from some of the people that I work with, learned from, and still stay in touch with. Do you still have people pursuing you for uh, autographs? Do you have, I, I, I do have people pursuing me. I wouldn't necessarily, it's, <laughs> it's not necessarily always for autographs, Colin, but that's another podcast. Oh, well, okay. Uh, selfies, though, nowadays, I would assume. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so did you see anyone, or you must have mixed with very famous people. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose, yeah, you, we did really. Um, you know, we were sort of going around, um, we were going around some school, can the, the canteen at, at Television Centre, and then you'd go to the rehearsal rooms, which were then in, in Acton. And, um, you know, the, the lift doors would open and out would come Ronnie Barker. Um, um, or Naomi Campbell, who was in Grange Hill at the same time as was I. Um, I was particularly excited when I bumped into Brian Kant for the very first time, because really? of course he had a great Suffolk, uh, specifically I think Tuttenham rather than Ipswich. I think he had a, a very very East Suffolk uh, uh, background, and, and and I remember he used to tell this great gag on Playaway back in the day. He said um, something about. Um, it was about Felix Toe. Where was his foot at the end of Felix Toe? It was a very funny gag. And um, Brian Kant was, a, was one of those people when I was 11, 11 years old thinking, wow, that's Brian Kant. Um, but yeah, we were, we were, we were lucky to, to be working in the, in the corridors of, of, of a television factory as Television Centre was. Yeah, there will be people of a certain age who will get the reference to Brian Kant. And uh, the rest will get head. Who? Yeah, <laughs> there'll be someone I've no idea who you refer, but oh, he was remarkable and you know able to turn his hand to anything from from what you could see. But uh, mm. oh, what an incredible experience that would have been! So, how did things develop from there? Where did your career lead on to after those teenage years? Well, I mean, I'd like to say really that I had some sort of map, um, but you didn't. You know, you really were just going on to the next next um, audition, and. I found myself for six months in the West End in an Alan Bennett play with an actor known as called Stephen Fry, who at that time wasn't known at all and was brilliant. I mean, you know, um, we were in a in a in a, in a, a play called Forty Years On. The, the lead actor was um, Paul Eddington, who had started his career at in Rep in Ipswich in Suffolk. Um, Stephen Fry had this knack of there were about ten of us juniors, so I was about fifteen. Um, and he would have this knack, certainly in matinee performances, of trying to make the cast corpse. And th the voice that he would often use in Black Adder in late in later years was the voice he would suddenly sort of. And you know, as a 15, 16 year old, we were just creased. And of course, we would get told off by the stage management and, and the director for for laughing at a matinee. And said, "Well, it's not entirely our fault. Of course, it was our fault because you should learn." Um, to deal with that sort of behaviour. But uh, yeah, me, working with people like that, working with the likes of Alan Bennett was very, very special. Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. Um, so was that something you continued as you sort of came into adulthood? Yeah, absolutely. So I went, went to work in the States um, for three months, um, the Alabama Shakespeare Festival in my twenties, came back, um, came back to Felixstowe and realised I was out of work. So I went to a local theatre in Suffolk and said, any work going, probably a little bit bombastic, if I'm honest, saying, look, I've got this and I've done that, um, as you do when you're, when you're young and um, the world is potentially your oyster. And I was told, yeah, there's work if you'll work for less than the equity minimum, which then was quite important to ensure that um, performers actually had some sort of basic pay. And I sort of said, no, very much a union man. I thought, no, I won't. Um, came out of that particular theatre and looked around to see what I could do next. And across the road was this beacon. Well, across the road was Radio Suffolk. And um, I managed to get past um, quite a... Um, a severe receptionist and found myself talking to this lovely man called Ivan Howlett, who I think probably thought, 
here's an idiot. Let's put him somewhere. So he put me on this programme on a Sunday afternoon that only really, between you and me, my mother and someone else listened to. It was an arts programme and it was very arty, very, very arty. Um, and it was presented by a lovely man called Brian Robinson, um, who, who just really allowed me to do all sorts of things. And um, at that time, there were people at the radio station like Canon John Ely and um, Mary Jane Cullen and Kevin Birch and Rachel Sloan. And I just sort of watched what they did and thought, this is pretty good. You sit here and talk and they pay you once a month. Um, and I thought, this, 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 this thing's really a clever idea. And I sort of accidentally fell in love with radio. And I was given huge opportunities there by Ivan. Wasn't paid very well. I remember my, I was paid six pounds a week. Um, this is 1994. So, you know, it didn't go far, Colin, even then. That was, for a, that was a Sunday afternoon. Right? That was a Sunday afternoon. It covered right. the bus fare with Eastern yeah. Counties uh, yeah. back to Felixstowe. Yeah, goodness. So that was your first taste of radio? Um, it, uh, presenting live, yes. I'd done drama okay. prior to that. So I'd done oh, right. plays for Radio 4. Um, but uh, the afternoon plays, so as, as the nation irons, people listen to a half hour, 45 minute play with doors and shingle being opened and all the sound effects. Um, but yeah, that was, that was my first experience of proper be yourself, not a character. And I quite enjoyed not having to learn lines and learning about the place that I'd grown, grown up in. Suffolk. It was it was nice. What what happened next? How did you move on from there? What happened next? Were, were, you, were you still at Radio Suffolk? Did you move on to other things there? No, I said they kept giving me more work. I think a lot of people had holiday. Um, most I think a lot of people there were staff, and I was one of the freelancers. And I think I was put into the radio car, and then I found myself doing Sunday mornings for I think initially Stuart White, and then I think Terry Baxter, and then nick patrick and yeah i mean i was I, I loved it the radio car when i started was this old montego estate and um we were yeah it was fantastic you put this this i think it was eight and foot eight and a bit feet mast up and you'd you'd, you'd go somewhere i'd go to framlingham castle or i'd go to the rspb at minsmere or um i'd regularly go to the museum of east anglian life um, I, I was going there a lot. I don't know what 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 the, what the deal was, but I was going to the museum and be saying, "Am I really going there again?" And I was, and it was fascinating, and I really enjoyed it. But I did go there an awful lot because actually one of the producers said, "Don't tell me where you're going, Pendle. Are you going to Stonemark?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going to the museum and be staying in life again." Um, I think I must have spoken to every bit of wildlife there. But at least you got to see Suffolk, which must have been wonderful. Being paid absolutely to the people of Suffolk. I learned every back road and um, rat track to get back to St Matthew Street in time because at times if the radio signal if the radio car signal didn't work you'd have to record on what was then reel to reel tape I think they were about 14 minutes in duration so you do an as live so the presenter would say let's cross to Nick who's at Framlingham Castle and actually Nick was on tape um, blown an illusion there possibly for at least one person. So yeah I mean live radio that's Incredible, I suppose, because you've got to um, elicit an interesting uh, response from the person who you're speaking with. Yeah, because sometimes you're talking to people who are very interesting, but don't appreciate that they're very interesting and don't think they've got anything to tell you. Um, unlike me, I mean, you asked me a question, frankly, I mean, you know, you'll miss Christmas if you're not careful, because I don't know when to stop talking. 
I mean, I'm not talking my sleep, I'll talk all day. Um, when I had COVID, there was a, there was a brief lapse, uh, but even then I was managing to scribble notes down. Yeah, you're right. You do, you talk to people, you meet people and the listener really, um, as I watched others and learned how to try and do live radio, um, once, you know, you, you want to hear them and it's the presenter's job to sort of coax something out and to start the conversation and let them then flow. Um, doesn't always happen. I remember once with a producer that had given me some notes, moving on, moving on a few years. Um, we were interviewing down the lines. You couldn't see the person at the other end. I was interviewing a musician from a 1980s band. And the questions that I was asking were appropriate for the person that I thought I was interviewing. Sadly, the person at the other end was from another 1980s band and did a tremendously good job at answering the questions for the person I should have been or thought we had booked. Um, I don't think it was probably a great listen. It certainly wasn't an award-winning moment and somehow we got through it and I think I managed to squeeze in some ABBA before the news at 11. So how long were you at Radio Suffolk for? So I think I've had three, three um, um, I'm going to say sentences. I think I've had three stays there. Um, so I had one stay that went through until 99. Um, new editor came in. I don't think I really got on with him and I don't think he really got on with me. So I left. That's a polite way of saying they sort of ask you to leave. Your contract's not renewed. Um, and so I then went to work for Mohammed Al-Fayed, um, who then owned a radio station in London um, called Liberty. Um, and it was known as London's biggest AM station or, or the station of the stars, as it was known, because when the listening figures come out every every quarter and it's called Rajar, against Liberty's name was this little asterisk, which meant it had it had zero listeners. So it was known as the station of the stars, Colin. So the only way up was to try and find someone other than my mother to listen. And being on AM in London, it sort of yeah. restricted the audience. It was somewhere. it was great in Stratford upon Avon, but you couldn't hear it in Covent Garden. Yeah, it was that music station rather. Than it was speaking. a music station. It was very much like sort of Hearts, really. Anyone's heard Hearts? Um, so it was a lot of music and chat. And um, I was there for what two and a bit years, and then it was bought out by a religious organisation based in Brazil, um, who then we had to reapply for the license to the then um, predecessor of Ofcom, which I think was the Radio Authority. And they didn't get it. And um, so where did I go then? I don't know. I think I went back to radio. I think I was invited back to do Saturday afternoons at Radio Suffolk. Um, I think they took pity on me and said, oh, you know, he's a lot of water has passed under Stoke Bridge. We'll have him back one more time. And they did very kindly. Was that, uh, was that including sports then, if that's a... Yes, it was, which was a bit worrying, really, because I had to pretend when I was on air at Radio Suffolk that I knew something about what was going on at Portman Road. Um, and I knew nothing um, of what was going on about Portman Road unless someone told me they'd lost or they'd won. And I'd hear people cheer and think, oh, it's good. And if I didn't hear anything, I assumed it was bad. In those early days, in the sort of late 90s, it was it was actually quite a good time for, for, for things going on at Portman Road. Um, not always that way, of course. Mm. Yeah, so that would have been leading up to their promotion at, what was it, 2000? Yes. Um, so, yeah, probably a, a nice time to be in the studio listening to positive things happening. It was. Yeah, it was. And again, I was surrounded by 
some, um, there was a, a, a great Australian broadcaster called Charles Collins, who I think had been with the radio station from day one, and Mark Matthews, who I think probably is one of the most natural, if not most talented broadcasters in East Anglia, certainly not on the radio enough, in my, in my opinion, because he's one of those people that can just um, open a mic and talk. And um, it's not, not that surprising. There's not that many like him. And I think it's a shame because he was a great listener. He was talking about sport and I found it boring normally. But he, where, he, where he spoke about sport was interesting. Again, I guess that's part of the, the job is, is adapting to things that you're no expert about, but you have to be placed in the studio uh, to, to yes, do I, I it all together. Yeah, I suppose learning a little bit about something, you have to do a little bit of research um, when you're going to interview someone out of general courtesy, but also because you don't want to look a complete blonk or sound like a complete blonk to the listener at home, thinking, well, I can't, I've got the person's name right, that's about it. You do need to do a little bit of research. You could actually ask something other than, so when is your new book out, Ainsley Harriet? <laughs> yeah, so how did you end up on, on commercial radio then, um, locally? Because that's when we first met. Yes, it was. So um, I'd been back at Radio Suffolk a second time, and then um, we parted our ways, or I was sacked. And I then went to work for SGR at the same time, um the same show they created this show they sort of moved shows around and said well you'll be on 9 to 12 so i went to do 9 to 12 at sgr um and do a few other things behind the scenes and then we became heart and then became heart suffolk and then we all lost our jobs again because heart suffolk then became heart east anglia and then those that were working at heart east anglia then lost their jobs because heart east anglia became heart uk and then I went to do breakfast at an Ipswich based station, specifically East Suffolk um, radio station called Town 102, and did breakfast there for two and a bit years. And that's where you met and used to come in and talk about money and jars. And um, jar, I should explain, you, you had this very simplistic approach um, when you and I was said, how do you get interested in money, Colin? You know, how, and, and saving and understanding the value of money. And you, took, you gave this analogy of, of jars on a shelf. And it, it, it stuck with me it's, well, for, for, for many years. I wish I'd met you earlier because I'd probably be better off. Well, I think, uh, again, I may have been the only one corresponding with you at six o'clock in the morning. So I think you had pity on me and said, fancy coming in for a chat sometime. You must have thought, oh, this is some very sad individual who's, who's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's messaging me at six in the morning. Well, there was you, you, you were certainly a regular, uh, as was Gavin, the, um, the Hobus delivery man. Um, yes. who would regularly be delivering at White House at Asda and um, a few other regulars. And uh, because, the, because the breakfast show there had a speech quote, it wasn't just music, um, I didn't think it was fair, and also I'm quite lazy, just to have my, me banging on about how excited I was to be playing the song by Kylie that you probably heard half an hour ago on the very same radio station. So I thought, let's get some pe real people in. And the radio station at that point hadn't really sort of hit its mark. It hadn't really made uh, a name for itself and it didn't have great listening figures. So I was tasked with getting up at an absurd time in the morning to try and make it sound a little bit more Suffolk really, a little bit more East Suffolk. So getting East Suffolk people in to talk about the place they call home seemed to me, Sherlock, like quite a good idea to let people know there's this radio station called Town 102. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I just recall it being, I would have been, what, 2011, 2012, 
maybe 2013. Um, yes, it probably was 2011, yes. 2011 and I left in the uh, end of 2013. Yes, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you had all sorts of people on. It was, it was yes, great fun, actually. Yes, we did. We did. We did. had we had a we had a nutritional expert called Ben Coomer, who I think has gone on to have the UK's number one um, nutritional podcast on iTunes. Um, and we had oh, we had a, a character that we created called um, Brian from Melton that um, some people may have heard of, um, and that that went down quite well a couple of times. And that was sort of the anniversary of the Great Storm of was it eighty six or eighty seven? And um, I suppose I was thinking that let's do something about one of those horrific local radio phone-ins where people say, what do you think about biscuits? Call now. Um, Hello, Nick, I don't like Bourbons. Thank you very much, here's Abba. Um, there you go, that's local radio in about five seconds. Um, <laughs> and so Brian sort of came and he came back and, um, and went down quite well, I think, with some. But that was a long time ago. I think he's, I think he's still going. Yes. Well, a lot of people are, Colin. A lot of people are still going, I mean, you know. <laughs> People build things for years. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, well, that's good though, isn't it? It obviously works. Good, good comedy. Um, and again, you moved on from there. I mean, that must have been, you know, doing the breakfast show. I always think uh, anyone who can last a couple of years or three years in that must be. Oh, it's horrific. It's a really I early start. No, I mean, you've got to be a very. You, you've got to either be not want to sleep. Um, um not if you can put up with mad hair i mean i bored friends and family for two plus years telling them they said how are you and i'd say i'm very very tired because i was doing six days a week because commercial radio you know, unlike unlike the luxury of the bbc where they let you allow you to have a weekend sometimes um then anyway in commercial radio you did six days a week so i had to do um saturday breakfast as well and yeah it was you know you'd see you'd see a badger you'd see a milkman um and you see the Hovis delivery driver, um, and that was about it. Um, and it, I, I, I enjoyed the bit on air, but what it does to your social life is horrific. And um, my social life prior to that was pretty horrific anyway. But you know, when people say, do you want to come out? Well, I need to be back by 8.15, I need to be in bed. And I was really disciplined. Some people in breakfast radio are able to go out and, and, and stay out as late as 10 or 11. And I had to be in bed by 9.30. Um, so that's the only way I could do it. Yeah, I guess that's where you just have to work with whatever works for you and, and, and get into that, that routine, that discipline. But yeah, there must have been tough. So once you got through that, was it a case of just having to have a break from early mornings? Yes, so it got to 2013 and um, I sort of... I thought, well, I've, I've done this radio bug thing. Um, it was a bug that became quite a long lump. And so I decided to... Um, I decided to do something quite adult for me, and I decided to resign um, rather than wait for the contract not to be renewed um, and plan something in my life that wasn't sort of performance-led. And I was asked to do a little bit of media work elsewhere. And I thought, well, if I balance a few things, I don't have to get up at 20 to four in the morning and I can just go and have a nine to five type life. And that seemed quite attractive. And it was, and I did that for about 18 months. And then like an idiot, I was invited back by the new owners of Town 102. So would you come back to Town 102? And like an idiot, they waved a little bit more money if I'm absolutely truthfully honest. And I said, yes, it was a mistake. I should have said no, um, but you know, you live and learn, Colin, you live and learn that, well, some, you live anyway, some of us live. We don't necessarily always yes, learn. Yes, yes, that's it, yeah, yeah. 
So it was, was that the time when you thought, oh, I should just investigate what's going on in the business world? Is that how that yeah, started to yeah, well, Yes, because it was got to this point and, you know, you're nearly 50. You think, I've never actually had a proper job, um, you know, in the sense of a proper job um, that, with a pension and those sorts of things. And the, I, when I went back, um, we were then bought out. Um, as commercial radio often is, it reinvents itself and it's bought out by someone else. We bought out by a company called Celador, who were responsible for, um, who wants to be a millionaire and slum, Slumdog Millionaire, the feature film. And then they were bought out and then we all lost our jobs, or many of us lost our jobs anyway, and the station closed. And so I was made aware by someone I used to work with um, at SGR called Louise Gregory, um, that an organisation called Mentor, Mentor Business Support, were looking for someone who could help SMEs with marketing and media engagement and having complete sort of imposter syndrome thinking I can't possibly do that I couldn't tell anyone about media engagement what's that about I don't even understand what it is um, and I went for an interview with the CEO met him at a hotel in Woodbridge and was offered the job um, that afternoon I thought wow I'm not entirely sure what it is that I'm going to be doing I don't think he'll listen to this I hope he won't this must have been a massive change. Yeah, it was because it, it also involved me um, having to, um, to to sort of um, wear a suit from time to time as well because I thought well, that's what the business world does, isn't it? Isn't that what the business? They all wear suits, don't they? Of course, they don't. Um, um, but it, it, it was it was a new discipline in the sense, and it was it was it was it was a good discipline to have to learn to actually understand how my experience could be of use to others. Uh, how I didn't need to be the performer and how I could help others position themselves and talk directly to radio stations, how to write a press release, how to engage um, local media outlets to try and get coverage for your business. I think that's the thing with um, some people may have heard of Mentor, but mm. probably don't really understand what it does, because it's one of those organisations, a bit like unpeeling an onion. I just find there's always something else underneath that you think, wow, I didn't realise they did that as well. But I mean, no, I suppose the, we could talk for hours. But yeah, what, what, the, what, the history of Mentor in a, in a in a very small small amount of time is that it was started by a group of business people in Bury St Edmunds in the summer of 1984. They recognised that there was a gap um, for them who wanted business advice and business support without having to join a membership organisation. So this group of business people. Um, who were very, had the great foresight to buy um, a building, get a mortgage on a building in Eastern Way in Bury St Edmunds. So if you know Bury St Edmunds, it's near, very near to the sugar beet factory. And um, so they more in the industrial part of the town. And they had service business units and startup businesses could go in there and could have the phone answered for them, have their post dealt with, and they could operate their business uh, from one of those units. And from that, it grew, um, spread across the whole of Suffolk, and they started delivering training. And now, um, from 1984 to this present day, um, Mentor provides established business support, new business support, advice, no membership, networking events across Norfolk and Suffolk. We've used a, an awful lot of those things over time. And, and one of the best things, when, when we started our business what, 12 years ago now, I needed a bit of an explanation about just budgeting within a business. I've done lots of talking about budgeting as an individual, budgeting as a business, basic bookkeeping, reading accounts, all of those sorts of things. 
and Mentor provided a service for it. They provided an afternoon at the Orwell Hotel in Phoenixstow where we sat down and they talked through things like profit and loss and cash flow and margins and all of these things. And I'm not sure where else you can get that. Well, no, and I think, you, you know, any good business finds a gap in the market, doesn't it? And um, no one really owns Mentor. It's a non-for-profit organisation. Um, it's run as a business. There are 17 members of staff. There's a CEO. There's a, there's a board of non-executive directors. Yesterday, I was delivering a networking event in Haverhill. They have a business centre in Haverhill. And um, they have a co-working space they opened last year in Bury St Evans, where freelancers can come together, those that have felt isolated. They're opening a new co-working space um, at the end of April, early May in Hamilton Road in Felixstowe. They're delivering training today and LinkedIn at the Forum in Norwich. And there's an accounts course coming up next week. So yeah, they, they, they do offer um, a remarkably wide spectrum of services. And because they are non-for-profit, many of them are free, some of them are funded, and some of them are very inexpensive. So, you know, um, a training session of three hours in digital skills, how to put your business or products on Pinterest or Instagram might cost you £35 for three, four hours of training. The thing is, adapted over that time uh, to deal with what's prevalent in business at the time. So when I started the business 12 years ago, uh, there weren't that many things going online in the same way now. So phrases like Pinterest and Instagram wouldn't have cropped up. But a lot of people can now build a business in that way, as we've we've spoken to entrepreneurs over this last year and a bit doing these who have built it on Instagram. And it's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really successful business in Woodbridge. Um, highly, highly um, recommend anyone checks out their profile on Instagram. They're called um, Baxter and Baxter. And um, the man behind it, young entrepreneur, um, he sells bracelets to men. Um, they're beaded bracelets. They're all made in the UK. And he's grown his business through social media, doesn't have a shop front as such. Hugely successful business, reg regularly featured in GQ magazine, really a very much a style brand, um, but run from a spare room in Woodbridge um, and a remarkable, successful business story that has grown purely online. There's a business that's run by a mother and daughter in um, North Norfolk. Um, it's Sarah Pettistry is the business owner, and she makes pork pies for the likes of Selfridges. You'll find them at the Old Brook Food and Drink um, uh, event in sort of late September time. And pork pies that go to Harvey Nichols and Selfridges, they run their business and have grown and marketed their business purely by posting incredible pictures of them making pork pies on Instagram, Facebook, and the like. And they've won numerous food awards. The business is still only a few years old. So... Uh... Mentor's aim, from what you're saying, is really where there is something that needs um, solving uh, within the small business community, then Mentor looks to try and address it if there's the demand. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you have to deliver things that there, there isn't necessarily where people, people want something, but the commercial sector doesn't necessarily want to deliver it because there's no money in it. Um, you know, you, you don't really make any profit out of hosting networking events. Um, you have to hire a venue, you have to pay for the coffee, the tea and the biscuits. But if you don't want to join a membership organisation and you want to go networking, what do you do? Um, so they will run that at a loss. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's its, I, I guess its ethos is, 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 is that you, you have to find what its audience actually wants. And our audiences are micro businesses, those that are considering moving into self-employment. 
Um, commercially, I did some work for the Port of Felix Day recently, um, but that's a, the commercial element of the business is very small um, because it is predominantly looking after and looking out for for emerging businesses and for those that are the next generation of entrepreneurs. They need some help. They have the talent, they have the idea, but sometimes, as with you, you just needed something to be reaffirmed. You probably did know the answer to, but you just needed someone to say, yeah, you have got it right, Colin. Yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right. You know, there are some things you think, I think I'm there, but you know, I need someone who's way more intelligent than me and more experienced to, to give you the right answer. But the, the co-working aspect is something that's, really important and I guess the last two years have changed a lot of the ways in which people work. Yeah and I think um, many of us have had habits broken. I don't travel um, on public transport in the way that I did two or three years ago in a meeting in London or whatever now it's just done on Zoom you know. Um, how, many, how many of us had never heard of Zoom um, and suddenly now we all feel like we're experts in it until we leave ourselves on mute and someone has to tell you, you're on mute. Yes, okay, all right, thank you. Um, so yeah, you have to adapt and the co-working um, idea that Alex and the team had at Mentor was to come up with something that was a little more stylized. It wasn't just about another desk and a room. It was about having some collaboration to having some experts in the room if you wanted some advice, but also to deal with, you know, if you run a business, as you know, at times, even if you have a supportive, great team around you, it can be quite a lonely place. And if, it's, if the business is just you and you're in charge of marketing and sales and delivery and everything else, it's quite nice sometimes to be in a room where you can just have a coffee and chat and write some emails quietly with other people around you and not, like I was trying to do for two years, spend two years trying to work out where the best place in the house during COVID was for the printer. Um, and you know, it's still, two years on I'm not convinced Colin that I put the right spot for the printer um, in all honesty but co-working allows people to share ideas to meet people to it generates connectivity and that's what business is about isn't it and you know you can come into a room there are private spaces in the co-working space so if you need to make a client call we all know those people who are very loud on the phone and you're trying to write an email I think good grief inside voice please um, so there are there are Zoom rooms and places for people to go and be loud if they need to be or private. And um, but if you want to escape that feeling of loneliness and just need to have some human connectivity, I, mean, I think I think most of us over the last two years have seen the benefits of just being in a room with people and just chilling occasionally, just having a relaxed time and talking. And that's what the new site on Hamilton Road in Felixstowe will do, and that's what the site over the last twelve months has achieved on King's Road uh, in Bury St Edmunds. Yeah, they're really useful spaces. And I wouldn't overlook that issue that you raised earlier, which is finding other people to work alongside or work with, because there's often things that you need doing within a business that you, you'd you have to find someone you can trust to outsource that work to. And I know, I think actually it was a mentor, um, it was probably a lunch because it's that sort of thing that gets me out of the office. Uh, <laughs> when, when we first started and we, we came across um, a couple of firms on the same table and we started working with both of them within about six months and one I think we still work with now even though it's sort of 12 years on they were at similar size similar time to us they'd only just started they were looking for new clients they delivered something that we really needed and just being able to have that shared experience of the embryonic stages of a business is incredibly important. Yeah, and, and just being able to fire an idea at someone 
and say, what do you think? Because again, that loneliness, that, that isolation is the, uh, you know, you, you need sometimes you doubt yourself, don't you? You think, it, you know, if there's someone else there, you can say, do you, does this work for you? If you're looking for a new software package, if you're thinking of buying a new laptop, it's quite nice to actually just say, what works for you? And just being able to talk and share ideas and of course, spark new connections and do the old fashioned thing of actually shaking hands and saying, let's do business. Yeah, and of course, with many entrepreneurs or micro businesses, they've left a corporate experience where they were probably used to sitting in an office alongside John from accounts and being able to ask him about what was his favourite um, song on top of the pops. I was like, oh, no, I'm showing my age rather. But, you know, having that conversation about, you know, water cooler moments, as they call it. But to be able to have that alongside somebody else who's running a totally different business. It, it just maintains that social aspect of the workplace. And word of mouth marketing is hugely important. So if someone says, I'm looking for a financial advisor, or I'm looking for um, a graphic designer. If you're working alongside people such as that, you're able to say, well, there's Colin or there's so-and-so or there's him or there's her, you know, and, and that word of that recommendation is, is vital to small businesses. You see, uh, or has there been a significant change in the number of people starting up businesses over the last couple of years? I think what happened uh, with furlough when people were furloughs, I think a lot of people, um, and the evidence is there, we saw a spike, mentors saw a spike in interest. People either planning for plan B, because not knowing what was going to happen at the end of furlough necessarily, but also people reevaluating actually what did they want? And yeah, you know, we've heard this a lot. I've heard people say, that, you know, well, I've decided that I don't want to work five days a week. I don't want to go back into work. I want work to work for me. And with the, the fortunate focus on mental well-being and the fact that we can now openly, well, certainly more so than we were 10 years ago, able to talk about our health. Um, I think it's important that, that people are given the opportunity to discover what support is available and what opportunities they have and, and, and assess their own skills and what they may want to do in the next five years. And it may be that you don't want to be an employee in the next five years. Actually, you could be doing a better job than the boss. And now is the opportunity to give it a go. Yeah, and I guess um, that's translating into people adjusting the hours they work and the way they work. Not everyone works well between nine and five. Some are late birds, some are early starters. And, and having the freedom to do that if you start off and having access to your um, facilities 24 hours a day must really help that. Yeah, I think it does because um, it, it, it gives people the confidence when you see others around you. You know, um, in, in East Suffolk, in, in West Suffolk, if you look at Suffolk as a whole, there's no real pot of glue that joins, in my opinion, there's no real pot of glue that joins Suffolk together. So you've got some incredible food producers, you've got a great tech community, you have a remarkable creative community but it's all quite splintered and they're all sort of doing their own thing and, and I sometimes wonder if, if that's perhaps the, the makeup of Suffolk that perhaps we are um, because of our, our rural location we find it difficult to to join together in the way that a city does or a larger uh, more less rural um, environment can do but there are some remarkably um, diverse businesses I mean there's a business um, in just down the road from where I am so I'm on the Suffolk coast near Shingle Street and there's a business 
um, on the way to Wickham Market that makes this, it's called Roland's Plastics, and it makes this um, plastic flooring that they actually use for traffic up mountains. And is, there is plastic flooring made and produced in Suffolk on some of the highest mountains around the world. And yet very few people know about it because they don't need to know about it, unless you're passing through, go past Roland Plastics on the way to Wickham Market. There's some really clever businesses here um, and really, and, and some great creativity and entrepreneur flair. Um, we just gotta be careful that we don't lose it and we try and retain as much of that um, creativity in whatever the sector is within the county. That's primarily why we started this podcast because you know that I enjoy networking, but I probably don't need to do it quite as much as we did when we started the business. And in, a, in that 12 or, or more years where I've held lots of coffees and, and, and as you know, eaten lots of biscuits, um, I, when you listen to the, the businesses that exist in Suffolk and you listen to the story from the founder or the uh, sales guy or whatever, and you just think to yourself, I never knew anything about this. And yet it's the world leader in plastic on mountain roads um, or whatever it may be and you just think this is fantastic uh, that there's so many good things going on in Suffolk and yeah well that, that's really why we have this podcast is to just talk about those and make sure that people understand that they exist and actually do the one thing that Suffolk isn't very good at which is talking about itself. Well, no, but then you come down, don't you? You come down to that whole West East business that I know when I look back at my radio time in in Suffolk, I can never really understood what 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 the issue was. But um, I had a I had a, a cousin that was um, a senior police officer in what was the old West Suffolk police force, and of course Ipswich had its own police state force at one time, as did East Suffolk and as did Lowestoft. Um, so we, we, we were very good, perhaps, in this part of the world at departmentalising everything rather than saying, you know what, come on, let's, let's have a big table, let's all get together. And that's why the podcast that you do um, is an effective tool to actually um, be that pot of glue, the little, you little pot of you-hoo, Colin, that's what you are. You're bringing people together. Well, that's what Mentor who does a, a, an amazing job. And it's really nice that it's, yeah, maybe started in Berry, but now that we've moved across to... To Felixstowe, and we'll see uh, some activity there in Hamilton Road that you and I would have trudged up and down many times as youngsters. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. No, Felixstowe has changed radically. I was back there the other other week, and I was trying to remember what that shop was and this shop was, and um, those of a certain age, certain vintage. You know, um, I still miss Newsteads at the top of Lloyd's Avenue uh, in Ipswich, and I miss Westbrooks on Hamilton Road because they did the best fake cream donuts. Um, that end of and sadly um Westbrooks and um Shanks 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 I mean the Shanks family they didn't you know they um I probably got they've probably got a lot to answer for with too many donuts but they tasted good at the time yeah. absolutely right absolutely right well those are great days um but you're doing a great job and how do you see things developing with Mentor then what's the what's the future hold is it uh got grand ambitions yeah absolutely I think the co-working experiment um will grow and I think whilst we have Felix Doe coming up um, as I say at the end of April early May I think you'll see um, further developments elsewhere within Suffolk on the co-working environment and probably into Norwich as well. Um, it's, it's, it's a formula that's been created that is working people like and I can see that growing and of course once you have a shop front people can come in not necessarily to co-work but they can come and say look I need some help with my tax or I need some help with this and 
gone are the days where you could go to your bank manager and say, I need some business support because Barclays and Felix Day announced it's closing its branch. It's been there forever. Uh, NatWest, long gone. I think I nearly called it the Midland. How old am I? The, uh... <laughs> Philip, uh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. A lot of, I was talking with, you know, we've had this issue with clients who are saying, you know, my high street bank is closing. What do I do? And um, yeah, for, from a business perspective, that used to be a listening ear. <laughs> Certainly when it came to the Midland, um, they were the listening ear. But yeah, the... Uh, they were, they were there to, to support you and work through you and without having that um, footprint in the same way that they did previously, then having organisations like Mentor is incredibly helpful. Well, yeah, so it can only, fingers crossed, continue to flourish. And um, it's, it's fortunate it has a very talented team of business trainers. And I think what makes, what makes them different is that those business trainers actually have run or run their own businesses. So they, they actually talk the language of business rather than business education. And I think those are two very different beasts. Um, you know, when I was at stage group, going back to where we started, people would say, you know, there are those that do it and those that talk about it. And I think, I think there's something in that. Well, it's been wonderful to catch up with you, Nick, and uh, nice to turn the tables after all those years of you asking me awkward questions. So, uh, <laughs> did I can't find anything particularly awkward enough to ask you about? So, sorry about that. No, well, no, well, thank you. I feel I feel as if I got away with it, um, as always. <laughs> oh, it's great, and uh, yeah, great work for men to do, and, and genuinely, we've benefited from a lot of the support that they offer, and. Uh, the uh, coaching work, the uh, personality profiling, one of the fantastic things that you do really helps teamwork. So yeah, thanks very much. Really, really good to catch up with you and for uh, telling us a bit about your background and the work you do at Mentor as well. Well, thank you for the invitation. I am so grateful to Nick for sharing his time with us and uh, also about his education and his career. Uh, and the story of Mentor and how they're working with entrepreneurs and micro-businesses now throughout East Anglia, not just Suffolk. So thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Suffolk Money Podcast. As you know, we uh, bring to you stories about Suffolk because there's only three things that you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it, you can give it away. So that's why we speak to entrepreneurs, business owners, financial experts, and community groups and charities that work within Suffolk. I'm so grateful, as always, to Joy Day for working on our website and its visuals, uh, and also to Sally Birch for booking speakers uh, and uh, interviewees, and to Kevin Birch for editing and making the finished article so much better than it would be if you had all the warts and all that uh, would be included if it was just left to me. So thank you to them for their great work in making this so much better than it would be otherwise. So please do join us again. Uh, please do ensure that you like and subscribe to the podcast provider that you're listening to so that you always have the most recent podcast included in your inbox. And uh, if you can give us a five-star rating, then it will help other people find us. So thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure speaking with Nick, uh, being on the other side of the microphone, as it were, so please do join us again in our next edition of the Suffolk Money Podcast.